Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to The Inside, where we delve into pressing global issues affecting communities worldwide. Today, we turn our attention to the ongoing crisis in the occupied Palestinian territories, particularly in Gaza. Despite ceasefire talks, medical facilities like the Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus are on the brink of collapse, unable to provide adequate care amidst power outages and infrastructure failures. The Israeli military's obstruction of medical evacuations and restrictions on aid worsen the situation, violating international law. Joining us to shed light on this dire situation is Andrew Muse, Executive Director of MSF Southern Africa, who will provide valuable insight into the challenges faced by medical charities like MSF and the communities they serve in the occupied Palestinian territories. Andrew, welcome to Radio Islam International. Hi, good evening and thank you for asking me in today. Well, thank you for making time for us. Let's start here by you maybe just giving us an understanding or telling us more about the challenges that have been faced by medical teams, particularly at the NASA hospital in Khan Yunus, including how the lack of essential services such as water and sewage affect the ability of uh, healthcare providers to um, effectively treat their patients. Yes, I mean, we are in touch with our teams on the ground on a regular basis. And the picture that they paint to us in reports is one which is truly shocking, not something that I've experienced myself in almost 20 years of working in the humanitarian sector and working in a number of conflict zones. The reality is that the healthcare system in Gaza right now is effectively on its knees. Uh, electricity, which we spoke a lot about at the beginning of this crisis four months ago, has still not been fixed. The ability to have facilities open throughout the night are near impossible. And yes, you're right, water, sewage is something that we're very concerned about. Without access to clean drinking water, then of course diseases such as diarrhea uh, spreads very quickly in a in a situation like that. And just to say we are really concerned that actually if you're a pregnant woman now in Gaza, your ability to give birth in a facility and to receive medical care in a facility is almost next to zero. Uh, Most women now are unfortunately having to give birth at home and there's so many people displaced that even means giving birth in schools or even in tents. Wow, yes, that is a situation I think we've been hearing a lot about as well. And it's really scary, I think, you know, for a woman to have to go through that, particularly if the birth is not a, an easy one. I mean, you know, there's many things, many situations that women face during birthing that could see them in a difficult situation. Um There's also the repeated targeting of facilities and staff by the Israeli forces that also raises questions about the protection of humanitarian workers and the facilities in the conflict zones. What measures can be taken to enhance safety and security of the personnel uh, and ensure, you know, respect for international humanitarian law? Yes, I mean, actually, MSF, we are very used to working in conflict. It's, It's what we do. We've worked in war zones for over 50 years now, and we have very clear rules of engagement in place to protect ourselves. And actually, these are protections that are enshrined in international humanitarian law. All states are required to follow these rules. So, for instance, we share the GPS coordinates of our hospitals, our medical facilities, but also the houses where we stay. We also make sure that we mark 
uh, our, our residences and, and uh, clinics very clearly with enormous MSF flags. And actually, if we're moving ambulance is or staff around the Gaza Strip, we inform all sides of the conflict that these movements are happening. So we are very open and transparent about what we're doing. And unfortunately, even in, in having done that, actually, we've uh, been the victim of a number of attacks, which, you know, frankly, I've, I've raised extreme negligence and incompetence on behalf of the IDF, or worryingly, it's a, a potentially a, a, a targeted response. And so this is what we're very concerned about because working in a conflict is hard enough, but even war has rules, and currently the rules are not being followed. Now, Israel had to respond to the ICJ, uh, you know, two days ago, I think it was, they, or yesterday, they had to respond to South Africa's uh, um, hearing that took place and uh one of those things was to report as to whether they are doing what they should be doing when it comes to humanitarian law, and, and that would include medical facilities. Now, we know that, like you said, the medical facilities are uh, basically on their knees, and uh, the Al-Auda Hospital remains one of the few functional medical facilities in the region. What concerns are there about the potential shutting down of this, um, in you know, the hospital, and what factors contribute to its operating sustainability um, at the moment? I mean, you know, when we look at the current state of hospitals in the Gaza Strip, they they basically look like they have to be built from scratch. Every single one of them that has been bombed, and then um, you know, having personnel go through them just to damage what was left. Yes, I mean, hospitals under international law uh, are protected spaces and no side of any conflict is supposed to ever target a hospital unless they can prove beyond doubt that that protected status should be removed because it's become uh, a legitimate target in a theatre of war. Everything that we've seen, to be honest, on the ground has shown very low level of evidence that hospitals have been used by either side to uh, to, to get around uh, the rules of war. And yet we've seen a, a, a systematic targeting, really, of shutting down hospitals and health facilities across the Strip, making it more and more difficult to deliver life-saving care. Uh, and so, so one is the conflict circling around the hospital, some has been uh, direct uh, shelling of hospitals, including even snipers based outside of hospitals, stopping people to enter and leave the hospital. So really, the healthcare system, it's, it's dysfunctional. Uh, it's certainly not the safe, protected space that we expect when working in a war zone. And I'm not even talking about the restriction of humanitarian aid coming in, in and out of Gaza, which already is woefully low. We would expect 500 to 1,000 trucks of aid per day to be crossing the border. We are, you know, not, not even 10% of that. So the ability to sustainably run a clinic with uh, medical supplies without rupture uh, is impossible. And actually, our surgeons have even spoken about treating wounds with gauze and having so little materials that they then take those bandages and gauze, 
rinse it out under a tap, wash out the blood, try and dry it as best they can in the sun, and then go back and treat another patient with the same gauze. It's really not acceptable in the 21st century. Absolutely. And I think, you know, looking at this, it's not just physical wounds that we are seeing being inflicted because they are children. Majority of the victims are children. And we're seeing a psychological impact on these young lives. Um, You know, particularly when you look at it now, we know that Gaza has been affected previously psychologically because of the impact of what's been happening over the years. Could you provide insight for us into the specific mental health challenges faced by children and their families? And what happens as this, you know, this continues, this war continues? Because, um, you know, the the idea of uh, getting help to these children is going to be pretty difficult. I mean, it's going to be a long term process that uh, in a in a space that has been basically bombed to ash. Um, how is this going to be done? So the situation is horrendous and we have reports from our staff treating children aged as, as young as five and a five-year-old looking up and saying to the doctor, uh, I would rather die than survive. Uh, even the impact that has on, on healthcare workers is, is shocking. But to uh, experienced children telling you that they would rather die than survive what's going on uh, is just horrendous. So you can, if, if, if that's the stories we're hearing, you can only but imagine the psychological trauma that the majority of the children uh, are suffering in the Gaza Strip. And just to say, very sadly, there is a new medical acronym that is uh, now being written on patient charts across Gaza, which is WCNSF. And this has become shorthand by the doctors and nurses treating people that says, wounded child, no surviving family. And it's a recognition that not only do we need to treat this child, we're going to have to find a place of safe haven for this child after discharge because there's no family that this child can go uh, uh, home to. These are stories we just don't hear in other conflicts. And the scale of of the violence is is something that takes us uh, us by surprise every day. How do we overcome that going forward? It's really uh, an important question. I would love to say I had an answer to to that today, but we can see... Almost 1.7 million people, around three quarters of the population of Gaza, are currently displaced from their home. We have children surviving, but with no families. Uh, Clearly, the level of mental trauma that the entire population, but as you rightly say, uh, uh, minors, are going through is horrendous and will require a huge investment by the rest of the world to really try and pick Gaza back up on its feet once this conflict does finally end. Well, I I was watching a little boy uh, in Gaza talk about his three little brothers. I mean, he was 11 years old and he said he felt like he was 30. And 
all that he had in the world where his three brothers and the clothes that he was wearing. And then we see reports today of a toddler who happened to eat food um, that was, uh, I think, animal food and he lost his life. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the numbers that we're seeing and, and, and the stories that have been coming out are, we talk about the mental state of the victims, but amongst those victims are also the medical personnel who've become victims and, and also have, you know, their mental capacity uh, being Attested, I would say, because how do you live through something like that day in, day out, 100 and almost 150 days now, having to go through that, watch this, and at the same time, try to stay mentally able to assist the people that are being put in the situation? How do you, how do your staff members work through that? It's uh, becoming increasingly difficult, and I think harder and harder as every day goes by. We have um, around 300 Palestinian staff, staff, uh, you know, born, raised, living in the Gaza Strip. And we have just over 20 international staff that we've been able to bring in. And actually, we try to rotate that international staff in and out because of the difficulties in dealing with such a crisis. But if I think about our staff born and raised in Gaza, not eligible to leave the Gaza Strip. You know, they will not be allowed by the authorities, both Israeli and Egyptian, to cross the Rafa border now and get some respite uh, from the horrors that they're seeing every day is really, uh, to me, I I find it a testament to the resilience of the people. Uh, I find it quite incredible that doctors and nurses are picking themselves up every day, now four months into this very bloody conflict and still being able to work and give as much as themselves as they can to their patients. Um, And we very sadly lost four uh, staff members in the conflict as a direct result of violence in, in this conflict. So these are friends of their colleagues and to continue working under that strain is is extremely difficult and I, I get quite emotional thinking about my colleagues in, in Gaza because it is a, a, a daily battle to go to work but it's a battle that doctors, you know, they swear an oath to do and uh, I'm taken aback and amazed by how they continue to deliver the services that they do. Mm-hmm. Absolute resilience in the face of such um, dire situation that they face. We've also seen medical professionals and um, you know ambulance um, ambulances, doctors being kidnapped, uh, ambulances being destroyed, um, and that takes its own toll because I mean nobody feels safe any longer. And you've mentioned that before when you go into a conflict um, situation, um, any war that that um, medical personnel go into, they know that they will be protected. But in this case, we're seeing the. Toll total opposite and for you know for for like you're saying you may not be in that situation right now but but you are still seeing and hearing from your colleagues um you're seeing reports and having to watch um you know we've been hearing reports of how doctors have been kidnapped and how they've been treated um all of this takes its toll but as you said, you know um you're trying and the and the staff are trying their best to stand up to this what plans would there be in place then? once this conflict ends, and we hope that it does, 
for the medical personnel that are there for them to get any help or assistance with regards to their medical um, and mental situation that they may be facing as well. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, we, we have seen as MSF, uh, we've had tank shells fired into an MSF clinic. We've had an MSF ambulance bulldozed by a tank. Uh, there is literally no safe space in Gaza at the moment. It's, it's, it's a reality that everybody who's currently living and working in within Gaza is facing. Um, and as we were talking about the psychosocial needs of children and people living in Gaza, it is clear the very high psychosocial need for doctors and nurses, but I think all aid workers trying to provide some kind of care to you know, nearly two million people living in the Gaza Strip. We as MSF, uh, in, a, in a sense, we are able to mobilize some internal resources to support our staff when it comes to psychosocial care. Uh, and we can do that both online and actually uh, support some uh, people on the ground. But it's really a, a drop in the ocean of what's required. Uh, the reality is, uh, once this conflict is over, just looking at the pictures, some kind of martial plan for rebuilding uh, Gaza will be required. Um, and the healthcare system is going to be needed to be rebuilt. And that means uh, increasing uh, human resources for health, getting more doctors, more nurses into the Gaza Strip just to give a rest to some of the people working there will be required. But that actually, in order to enable that to happen, we need a level of safety. Uh, and as it stands at the moment, just getting people in and out of the Gaza Strip is extremely difficult, extremely problematic, with a number of uh, uh, stakeholders required to approve that. Once the conflict ends, really, we'll need to see a massive scaling up of all humanitarian aid, including food. We see issues of malnutrition, uh, water and sanitation is an issue. But as you say, supporting or caring for the carers is also going to have to be an issue that we tackle. Mm. And then talking about the legal aspects, would these medical personnel have the ability to hold accountable those responsible for the attacks on the clinics and the ambulances? And, um, you know, would there be some sort of uh, um, a resource available to them to, to be able to do that? Is it possible or has it ever happened before? In truth, I, I couldn't give a, an honest answer to that. It's, it's Again, this is classic Doctors Without Borders, MSF. You know, we're not a legal organisation. We, we're generally just a bunch of doctors trying to save lives in difficult conditions. And, and we don't really go down legal avenues. Uh, you know, we treat what we see. Uh, and that's what we believe uh, is what we should do. Whether or not there are other uh, better placed legal agencies that could answer your question, I don't know. But I imagine uh, there are other organisations that could answer that better than myself. All right. Now, the announcement of a potential ground invasion in Rafa, uh, you know, it has been escalating. The tensions have been escalating. There's heightened fears for the safety of civilians and, and all sorts of workers that may be there uh, on the ground as well. How do you assess the potential humanitarian consequences should this military escalation take place? Should it happen, 
we are extremely concerned for the humanitarian situation. Rafa was considered one of the safer parts of, Ga of the Gaza Strip over the last four months. If Rafa itself is attacked, there's really uh, nowhere to go and there is absolutely no hiding place. Uh, it, it, it will be, I think, apocalyptic is not a too strong a word to say when you have so many people already living in very desperate and dire conditions with no access to clean water, no access really to a level of food that can stop uh, malnutrition. If there is such a large-scale attack as has been threatened, then you can only imagine how such a horrendous situation is going to be. Uh, and we, you know, we really hope and pray that it doesn't because it will be a humanitarian catastrophe. Mm. Now, what support do organizations like MSF and others on the ground require from international community to continue the vital work under these very challenging circumstances? For us, what we really call on is the international community to really stand up and, and, and take its, 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 its place in demanding an immediate ceasefire. The people of Gaza need an immediate ceasefire in order to get uh, uh, humanitarian aid in. As we were saying earlier, there is no safe space in Gaza, and that includes for the humanitarian workers to deliver the aid and the care that's so much needed. And the only way we're really going to be able to do that is actually have a sustained ceasefire to enable the border to be opened up much more so that aid can flow in. There are also some very seriously injured people who must be allowed to travel outside the Gaza Strip to receive proper medical care in uh, other countries. And, of course, be promised that they're allowed back to their home. Uh, which, of course, is every, uh, everybody's right. But the, the key call right now is that ceasefire. We, we need it immediately, and the people of Gaza need it uh, immediately. Mm. Now, looking ahead, what are the key priorities and strategies that MSF envisions to address the um, immediate humanitarian needs and to contribute to the long-term stability and well-being of the Palestinian population in Gaza? Immediately, we, we do need to uh, massively scale up the access to healthcare in general, and that's at all levels. Hospitals have been systematically shut down, but people don't speak about it so much, but primary healthcare clinics, the same. So uh, uh, women are not able to give birth in a delivery ward. Children uh, are not getting their immunizations. So we get very worried for outbreaks such as measles, uh, water, which is, you know, an incredible uh, 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 prerequisite for human health, is, is in short supply, particularly potable drinking water. So we need a massive increase of the ability to deliver drinking water into the Gaza Strip. It's, it's a case of, and I've never quite seen it before in, in many conflicts where I've worked, where actually everything needs to be done in order to sustain life. Uh, for MSF, at the moment, it's really a case of keeping hospitals running, enabling trauma uh, care to happen, 
to make sure that those uh, who are injured get treated and can survive. Going forward, uh, uh, and actually we've started just this now, we want to rehabilitate uh, delivery wards because uh, there's uh, uh, the numbers of women requiring safe deliveries are just enormous and we're very scared that people are potentially dying at home uh, when having complicated deliveries and we just don't know. So that's something we want to do. And I think in the very long run, it's clear that we'll have to reopen proper uh, extended programs of immunization to stop those communicable diseases like measles from spreading amongst children. And we will need to uh, start uh, a proper, probably long-term mental health care program for everybody in the Gaza Strip, uh, healthcare workers, children, and, and I think adults, actually, because it's been such a horrendous few months. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of work going forward. And I think the first, like you said, the most imperative thing right now is to make sure that there is a ceasefire. There is talk um, going around at the moment that uh, that could be achieved, but um, not much more other than um, the hope that we're all living on that it would uh, that this would happen as soon as possible um, especially now with you know within two months Muslims actually start mm-hmm. fasting and people mm-hmm. of Gaza I suppose you know would want to be part of that because it's uh, something that they it's part of their religion as well as their culture and um, it's going to be very difficult for them and we'd like to see that ceasefire come into play so uh, I think also for the medical personnel from MSF and all the other workers on the ground from all the different organizations we have to say thank you. Um, you know, we've just come out of two years of COVID and then into this. So um, I think it's it will take a toll on the people working within this particular war zone. Um, you know, have, if they've been through a difficult time, particularly during the COVID period and now this. Um, and as you rightly said, there's going to be need for a lot of support for the, the medical workers within this um, in Gaza um, once this ends and we hope that it ends soon. We also would like to say thank you to you for making time and for giving us a bit of insight on what's happening um, in the Gaza Strip as the days become uh, months and hopefully um, we see it stop soon. Andrew, you still there? Uh, yes, uh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. And, uh, and, and, if I'm honest, I get quite emotional when you say thank you because uh, all we try to do from a distance is support our colleagues, but actually they're going through extremely difficult times. And you know, we're trying to say I tr- we try to say thank you to them as well, but it's 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 not enough. They need, I think, all our support and our prayers as well at this time. Absolutely. Well, I know South Africans are definitely standing in solidarity with Palestine. Many of our South Africans, having gone through apartheid, understand some of what they are feeling, although it isn't on that level. But I think we do have that, um, um, you know, that relationship. And we do hope and pray that, um, you know, what comes out now will be a positive outcome at the ICJ or even sooner a ceasefire so that the people of Gaza could have some respite, as you said. And yes, emotional we do become. 
especially when we watch um, and see this genocide unfold on our telephone screens. It's it's something that's never, ever happened ever before, and we hope that it will never happen again. But thank you for your time. Really, really appreciate it, and thank you for making all the efforts that you do. And we thank all of our doctors and medical workers and those who go into these zones to um, give off, uh, you know, selflessly to help the people um, as much as they possibly can. I think it's only right for us to say thank you for the efforts that they make. And, th- and thank you for asking me today. You're most welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. As we conclude today's episode of The Insight, it's clear that the situation in the occupied Palestinian territories demands urgent attention and action from the international community. The ongoing attacks on medical facilities and the systematic destruction of Gaza's health system are unacceptable violations of human rights and international law. And we extend our gratitude to Andrew Muse and the MSF South Africa for their tireless efforts to provide critical medical care in the face of immense challenges.